Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Last week, Representative Paul Gosar tweeted an anime video depiction of him killing his colleague, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, this is pretty clearly unacceptable. It's against Twitter's terms of service, and if I tweeted a video of myself murdering a coworker, not only would I be fired, I'd probably be getting a visit from law enforcement. Twitter removed the tweet, but did not kick Gosar off the platform. And after he was censured and stripped of his two committee assignments by a vote of 223 to 207 for tweeting the video, he retweeted it because he doesn't care. Women of color like AOC face disproportionate levels of harassment, disinformation, and threats online. 
And this kind of abuse impacts us all because we're not able to have a healthy, functioning democracy unless everyone is able to fully participate. Let's revisit this episode that originally aired in February after AOC faced attacks online because she shared her experience of the insurrection to really hear the toll that harassment takes on women of color in the public eye. If you were online at all last week, you probably saw Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez use Instagram Live to give a harrowing account of what she experienced from inside the Capitol complex during the insurrection on the Capitol. In this account, she also shared that, like so many of us, she is a survivor of sexual violence. Now, this triggered a real-time tsunami of disinformation. Right-wing figures like Representative Nancy Mace and Jack Posobiec and others falsely accused AOC of not really being at the Capitol at all or exaggerating her claims. So it's true, while she was not in the main domed Capitol building, that building that you think of when you picture the Capitol in your head, when rioters breached it, she also never claimed to be. She accurately said that she was in the Cannon House office building, which is part of the Capitol complex and is connected to the main building by tunnels. Here's what she said on Instagram. I hide back in, um, in the bathroom behind the door. And then I just start to hear these yells of, where is she? Where is she? And I just thought to myself, they got inside. It felt like my brain was able to have so many thoughts in that moment. So AOC never said that rioters were in her hallway. That's a claim she never made. But that didn't stop Nancy Mace from tweeting, I'm two doors down from AOC and no insurrectionist stormed our hallway. Even though AOC never said they did. Now in AOC's Instagram Live, she recounted hearing somebody bang on her office door, come into her office and say, where is she? At the time, she was afraid that rioters had found her. But she later realized this person was a Capitol Police officer who was there to help her. Now, after this, we saw really ugly trends on Twitter, like hashtag AOC lied and hashtag Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett, comparing her to Jussie Smollett to suggest that she was making up her account, despite it being corroborated by multiple people like Representative Katie Porter and Bernie Sanders aide Ari Rabin. So this is actually a really good example of how disinformation works in real time. This complete distortion of what AOC said has become part of the public dialogue, despite it being based on lies. After this, AOC tweeted, The sad thing about disinformation is that once the truth comes out, the damage has already been done. People have already been misled, radicalized, and believe lies to the point where their hatred has brewed to violence. That's what led to the six, and that's what's happening now. And you know what? She's right. After she bravely shared her story of what happened at the Capitol and connected it to being a survivor of sexual assault, she faced a coordinated public disinformation campaign. And sadly, this is not an isolated thing for women of color in the public political eye. Leslie Mack is a prominent digital activist and organizer who I work with at Ultraviolet, where we create resources to curb sexist, racist disinformation, like our media guide that you can find in the show description. And sadly, Leslie really knows what it's like to face these kinds of attacks online. You're a longtime digital organizer, activist, someone who spends a lot of time making the world a better place via the internet. How did you get into this work? Tell me about your role in this work. Yeah, my role in this work started in the digital space um, in 2014. I started organizing faith spaces um, online after I joined Twitter, although I had been in Twitter for since like 2008 or something, which seems like ages ago. Um, 
And I had started doing some legislative organizing that way. We were working in New Jersey to ban the box um, and also some bail reform um, initiatives. And so a lot of that, my my initial um, digital organizing work was around legislative work, which was really interesting. And um, at the time, a little cutting edge. Uh, Not a lot of folks were doing it, but uh, we kind of dipped our toes in and started um, organizing folks online. And then... um, after Mike Brown was murdered, um, Feminista Jones had um, kind of put this call out on from Twitter uh, to say, hey, w- would you be interested in hosting a vigil in your city this week? And I was like, sure, I could do one in Philly. And I, I call that the, you know, the moment that uh, the full digital organizer uh, that is Leslie Mack was born. So that that's where I, I started out was organizing that first uh, vigil in Philadelphia um, the national moment of silence. And I, I guess I liked it because I just kept on going. (laughs) Yeah. You're kind of a prolific digital organizer. You're someone who I feel is one, it was one of the sort of, when I think about some of the foundational black feminists who were showing up online, I definitely think about you and, you know, full disclosure, you and I worked together, um, at ultraviolet. And so yesterday was kind of a, a long, wild day for folks who are online and in feminist spaces online because we saw AOC really being at the center of this coordinated right-wing disinformation campaign against her after she really bravely shared her story about what happened in the insurrection on January 6th and her own personal story as a survivor of sexual violence. And so my first question for you is, how do you see disinformation and abuse being linked? Well, they're linked, you know, on two on two levels. And I, I, I was talking about this with you yesterday, which is one is um, at the personal level, which is that um, abusers in our real lives, uh, our personal lives, use disinformation against us. Right. So they'll tell us lies about ourselves, about the world, that nobody will love us. And that that's a tool that they utilize at the personal level. And what we're watching is um, public abusers, right? People that are abusing the system, people that are abusing um, uh, people within it, um, using disinformation for that same purpose, which is to um, degrade, denigrate, and deny the experiences, real life experiences of marginalized people. So we're watching that play out with AOC. You know, she bravely um, not only shared her story, but she went personally one-to-one to to the people, which I think this is such a digital story in and of itself um, that she took to IG Live to um, have this hour long conversation. And the way I saw it play out, I didn't I didn't know she was live be- until I saw on Twitter, people were tweeting about it. And they were like, wow, AOC is doing X, Y, Z. And I said, oh, let me let me go over to um, IG and watch her. So I was watching her. Um, and while that was happening, somebody was starting a chat uh, clubhouse room to talk about it, to debrief it. Um, shout out to Tracy Quarter. And then as I was watching it, it said, oh, Katie Porter is going to be talking about this IG live on MSNBC shortly. So it was this moment of like, whoa, all of this digital stuff was happening. It was pinging and 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 um, creating waves all over the place. And and then subsequently, what, that's what we watched was the abusers that um, AOC was naming in her IG live, namely uh folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene and really all the insurrectionists that uh, and seditionists um, electeds that um, supported um, the coup on on January 6th. And they've subsequently now tried to discount her personal experience in this harrowing moment. 
And it's been wild to watch people just blatantly lie. You know, one of her fellow Congress uh, um, uh, Congress people said, oh, I'm, I'm, I was two, I, I'm two, do- two doors down from her. And there, were, there was nobody in the hallway. And then we find out that the person evacuated before anything happened. So the, the level of disinformation is really disturbing to watch in real time. Yeah, it is completely like a coordinated attack. So you're talking about Nancy Mace from South Carolina. So she tweeted yesterday, I'm two doors down from AOC and no insurrection has stormed our hallway. But that day, she herself tweeted on January 6th that she was being evacuated because of this threat. You know, she, she described it as, quote, a nearby threat. Um, she later did an interview, I think, on Good Morning America, where she said that she was so frightened by what happened that she her, her she stayed overnight in her office. She was, you know, her motherly instincts kicked in and that she was so afraid for her life that she was thinking about bringing a gun with her to Capitol Hill from now on because she was so afraid. And so that's how she talked about it right after it happened. And so it's very telling that now, weeks later, after AOC essentially says the same thing, that I was afraid for my life, um, somebody knocked on the door and I was afraid for my life. She's saying that didn't happen. And I think it's really interesting how you see the way that this is coordinated. You know, we saw some an, another big account on the right tweeting a map with arrows trying to indicate that AOC was not, you know, not in the Capitol when folks stormed. And AOC herself replied and said, your arrows are wrong. And AOC had a really good tweet where she talked about the fact that disinformation, one of the ways that it plays out is that once it's out there in the public narrative, it doesn't matter if it's not based in reality or if it's an outright fabrication. That becomes part of the narrative for so many people in a way that you can almost never kind of correct. Yeah, you never can pull it back once once the cat's out of the bag with disinformation. And it also gets spread in such innocuous ways. Um, it just becomes fact. And it happens so quickly. It's really an impossible thing to, to corral back in. Uh, one other thing I'd mention is that even... You know, AOC herself never said insurrectionists stormed there that hallway. What she said was somebody was walking down there and she was afraid of who it was. So even in the um, disinformation, they were already twisting the things that AOC said and saying things that she she never said at all. And so the the levels of lies, right, um, start to compound themselves. They've misinterpreted what AOC said at the start. Then they're calling her a liar erroneously. And now we have, you know, these ridiculous hashtags um, that are, you know, attempting to discredit um, Alexandria and, and you know, the real obvious uh, pain that she she was in. And, and it's interesting because nobody's discounting Katie Porter's um, account, though she also gave a very similar account, talked about when Alexandria was in her office and what happened in there. She was opening up doors and, and I was like, can I help you? Like, what are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for where I'm going to hide. And the thing that will always stay with me was when she said, I just hope I get to be a mom. I hope I don't die today. It's fascinating to watch that two people can talk about an incident. They, they, their stories match up exactly the same, but only one is targeted for, uh, for disinformation. That that's what tells me it's coordinated, it's deliberate, and it's um um and it's supposed to be specific to individuals. It's not happenstance. Absolutely. I mean, that jives with everything that we know from the research. We know disinformation is worse for women of color in politics. A report from the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a report from the Institute for Strategic Dialogue reveals that women of color candidates and political and political officials are targeted on the right 
by on social media at alarming rates. So this, this report found that women of color were particularly likely to be targeted. Um, Ilan Omar received the highest proportion, 39% of abusive messages of all the candidates in their studies. And AOC received the highest ratio of abusive comments on Facebook. So, you know, we know, you know, it completely jives with this research that Katie Porter, her testimony, her, her sharing her story would not be picked apart and sort of targeted for this kind of coordinated disinformation campaign in the same way that someone like AOC would be. So one question I have for you is, why do you think that women of color are such bigger targets for this kind of disinformation online? Yeah, I mean, I think we're bigger targets in general, um, and especially for our elected um, women of color, because we get shit done. And we really are there to stand in the gap for um, those that are marginalized, right, in ways that our white counterparts um, are not. Um, So off the bat, we're all already facing um, some some pushback to the work that we want to do in the world, and whether that's in political spaces or wherever. Um, the other side of that is that we're we're easy targets, which is which means that um, somebody attacking Katie Porter is going to be seen as mean. Um, they're going to be seen as not nice. Uh, but somebody attacking a woman of color, it becomes something so it's so okay. And then the pylon occurs and people are wait, are just waiting for opportunities to attack women of color. And, th- and this is something that, you know, you and I have been dealing with in digital spaces for, you know, a decade plus now. So it's not um, news, but I think those two things are why we become such lightning rods. I mean, the goal is to silence us. The goal is to get us out of positions of power. The goal is to make um, the kinds of changes that we are um, collectively and individually push for not reality. And so starting with attacking women of color, that's like the, that's the front line of that, of that uh, pushback. What you just said completely jives with what we know about disinformation, right? Like one of the points of disinformation is, is to silence people, right? So I think that disinformers, they don't want women of color to be putting their ideas out into the world, to, to be creating the kind of changes that they want to be responsible for in the world. And so these kinds of really scary coordinated disinformation attacks are meant to have a chilling effect on their targets. And so they're meant to make AOC and women who aspire to be like her, other women of color who might want to be activists, might want to be involved in politics, or might just want to put their ideas about these things into the world via Twitter or social media. It's meant to make these people feel so afraid and be so fearful that this kind of thing is going to happen to them that they just stop. They don't put their opinions out into the world. They don't try to shape the world. They don't, they, they stop with their activism online. And I think, you know, when we have conversations about disinformation, they often turn into conversations about free speech. And we need to be talking about the ways that this is shut it, an attempt to shut down free speech and to make it so that people don't feel comfortable engaging in public discourse. Absolutely. And it's so, you know, the thing that has been hitting me so much is is how normalized, you know, these types of attacks against uh, women of color elected officials have become. Um, you know, I was listening to Rashida Tlaib from the floor last night um, in the hearing around uh, stripping Marjorie Taylor Greene's um, committee assignments. And she said, she, I, I wanted to go last because I knew it was going to be hard for me to talk about it. And she talked about the fact that her first day on Capitol Hill, she hadn't even been sworn in yet. And they there was already a death threat against her serious enough that the FBI had to come and pull her aside. It was her first one. Not even sworn in yet. First day in D.C. And she said she was paralyzed. And everyone after that paralyzed. One mentioned her son. 
you know, she really talked about the trauma of it and how her team had to decide to kind of shield her from it moving forward because they recognized how it paralyzed her. And she said when she saw what was happening on January 6th, the first thing she thought was, thank God, thank Allah, I'm not, I'm not there. Um, because she knew that she would be a direct target as well. And so when we think about you know, so many, so much work that's been going into getting more women of color to run for office, getting more women of color elected. The flip side of that is we do not have systems set up to actually hold the space that women of color um, that, that serve um, in that way to hold them in the trauma that is sure to follow. And, and the other thing I want to bring to attention is that our our decades of ignoring this kind of violence in digital spaces is why we're seeing it accepted um, in real world spaces. There's a direct correlation between all of the work that we have been doing um, in digital spaces to, to throwing up these red flags for so, so long. I know you had Shireen on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, just she's she's amazing. And her groundbreaking work to just point out that, nope, this is not just uh, general harassment. It's very specific. It's very targeted and it's meant to silence women of color. All of that is now in the, in, in, in the real world. And it beca it became normalized in digital spaces. And that's the, the danger. When things become normalized in digital spaces, it means they're going to be acceptable outside of digital spaces. There's no barrier between the two. We are living beyond the digital age. There's a complete melding of digital life, and quote unquote real life that uh, means that anything we ex we find acceptable or or treat as acceptable online become the same in real world in very short time. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. 
Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. One thing that I wish that people understood is that what happens digitally and what happens in the real world, those two things are not distinct. And I think for so long, and I I think we're starting to see that, you know, the insurrection was one way that I think that folks who were unwilling to see this maybe are like, oh, I think that perhaps what happens online does have real world impact. But for so long, when it was a lot of women and women of color and Black women online who were saying, hey, we're being harassed, hey, this is happening to us, and no one was listening, I think one of the reasons why that was minimized is because it was happening, quote unquote, just online. And the perception that you could just step away from your computer or turn off your computer or get off social media, and it wouldn't be happening anymore, completely completely divorced from the reality that if it's out there in the ether happening online, it's out there in the real world, right? These word, these worlds are not so distinct and so separate. Yeah, and if you think of, I, I think if you think of disinfo at some point as an unsharpened pencil, right? Just a thing, um, can't do very much, but it is, it is a tool. Uh, I would say that that what happened was it was sharpened against women of color. It was sharpened against. Uh, I, I just think back to some of the early. Um, moments of disinfo that I remember, like Gamergate is a, a, that, that entire thing started with disinfo. And so the tool of disinformation was sharpened on all of our pain and all of the attacks that came against us. It was sharpened, it was sharpened and it was perfected. Um, And so now that it's being used to great effect uh, across the board, not just directed at us, but directed at government, generally speaking, directed at, you know, misinformation in elections, misinformation in so many sectors, um, even around COVID-19. It's wild because, you know, we are, I wrote an article a couple of, for BYP 100, like two years ago. And I think I called it something like Black women um, always playing, always cast in the role of Cassandra. And, and the, the piece was really just like, we're really tired of not, of being able to see the future, telling you what's going to happen, and nobody listening to us. 
uh, it gets exhausting, right? I, I do feel like we have this this like narrative of like trust black women, listen to black women, and I, obviously, like, I have a shirt that says that. Obviously, I agree with that, but we also have to have a very real conversation about what happens when you're expected to be the person who can see in the crystal ball and warn everybody time and time and time again. And I think you know, you and I had a good conversation about this moment regarding AOC, but also disinformation kind of writ large. And I do think like this is a moment where we can have a reckoning or a hard reset and say, no, we're not going to do this again, where we, after the fact, say, oh, we should have listened to Black women. This is an opportunity to really get it right. And that's what I would love to see. I would love to not just see this be another time where, you know, in six months, we all say, oh, well, we should have listened to these, these, you know, Black women activists or Black women social media users or Black women researchers who saw this coming, but we actually say, oh, people warned us and we did something. We took meaningful action. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the like after um, acknowledgments, it never goes as far as what you just said. It's always an acknowledgement like, oh, we should have known this, right? We should have known this or we should have known from this more recent thing. And what I'd like folks, to, the, the acknowledgement needs to go way further back. It needs to acknowledge the fact that the entire ecosystem collectively decided not to listen to women of color and especially black women in digital spaces as we were shouting from the rooftops about how abuse was being weaponized, how it was being coordinated, you know, in small ways and large ways and how every single platform has ways in which we can be targeted for harassment that that they refuse to close the loop on. I'll use an example, Twitter lists, great lists. It's a great function. You can make a list of people that like to talk about a specific thing, but there's no setting that allows me to stop anyone from putting me on a list. So once a month, I go through the list that I'm on and invariably I find four or five that are horrible, that say things that are terrible and have put me on a list with, you know, a bunch of, you know, great people, but the name of the list is something, you know, really egregious and um, clearly meant for people to target me and anybody else on the list as well. And so I have to remove myself by blocking the person. They don't even let you remove yourself from the list, by the way. These are small functional things within a system, right? Within, within a platform that enable abuse that are very easy to correct and yet doesn't happen. Articles have been written about this. People have pointed it out. I, every month I go live and I just like screenshot the list that I'm on and it's like horrible. And I can tell, I can tell when I start getting attacks, I'm like, oh shit, I, I'm on a list somewhere. Like I, I can, I just know it. I can feel it. Like why this tweet is innocuous. Why are so many trolls jumping on it? Ah, okay. You know, and it's, it's, um, I think that you're right, that, that it needs to be a much more proactive approach now that all of this data exists. Like you can't say you don't know. You can't say you don't have, we don't have the data to back it up. You can't say that we're not seeing the very real dangerous implications and, re and repercussions from unchecked digital harassment. And that, that's the part that I think we need to get to. You're someone who is a, a prominent, visible Black woman activist on on digital in digital spaces, right? And so that sounds phenomenal. You know, you have a blue check mark. I see people who are like, "Oh, that must mean you're rich or very powerful." But with that visibility, it's like a double-edged sword where you also deal with this oversized, you know, oversized abusive reaction online. Like people people I see people pile on you all the time. You'll say something innocuous and people it's like people were waiting in the rafters to attack you. And 
I think that we really have to acknowledge the toll that can take. You know, there are people out there who are probably like, oh, if you have a zillion followers on Twitter and a blue check mark, you must be having the best time on social media. I wish I had that. But with that kind of visibility and that with that kind of platform comes a lot of this abuse and that all of this nonsense that makes your experiences online when you're just trying to put your opinions out there difficult. And we have these platforms really doing nothing about it and enabling it. Absolutely. It definitely is one of those weird things of um, realizing that you have become not a real person in digital spaces to a lot of folks. And it take it takes some it for me, it took some getting used to just like, oh, like, let I'll put I'm putting air quotes up. Y'all can't see me, but <laughs> Leslie Mac, it, it's not actually a person to, to people. Um, it, it's it's this, you know, it's an entity or it's it's a thing. And I'm like, I'm I'm just a 45 year old black woman and I'm a real person. I have feelings. I have a family. I have, uh, I have, you know, mental health struggles. I have, I'm just a regular person. And yeah, I think a lot of the mechanisms um, in digital spaces actually dehumanize us. Some of these things that are meant to like, you know, amplify us or elevate us um, like a blue check or like a lot of followers. Um, for me, it's like great because I'm able to do more work and, and deeper work and have my my work reach wider. But the price that you have to pay for that is so large. Um, you know, I've left Twitter multiple times because of those pylon moments. And you're right. It does feel like folks were just like sitting with a bag of shit to throw at me and waiting for whatever moment when it, it was deemed OK to do that. Right. Because it, it's clear you can't do it anytime. You can't just do it out of the blue. It has to be when there's a mass of it happening. And I think that that speaks to the connection again between abuse and disinformation because we're watching bullies coordinate themselves to attack. And this is exactly how abusers um, act. And disinformation works the same way. The same people with the same mindset pick up on disinformation and they decide that's what they're going to push out as the truth. And, and you know, as AOC said, once it's out there, it's impossible to refute it. Anything you say will be just dismissed. Oh, you're just saying that because X, Y, Z. Um, and, and there isn't a, I, I don't know what the solution is, but I do know we've got to make some strides because, um, you know, every week I talk to more and more, you know, black women in particular in digital spaces that are just like, I'm just ready to leave. I'm just ready to stop because um, it's interfering with the, the the pros of the reach are not weighing out with the cons of how this is affecting me. And, um, you know, we are so disposable as black women that um, there's no consequences and also no empathy when we are feeling and dealing with these moments um, besides from each other. And, and it just really has to stop. It really makes me reflect on my own use of social media, which is actually quite guarded. AOC was so vulnerable. She really showed up as her full self in this way that I really often don't. I almost never talk about my personal life or my romantic life because I see the way that people will use it to target women of color online who do. Yeah, it's definitely true. I think, you know, I share a lot of my personal life because that's how I build my following and my, you know, my platform. So I still I still share, you know, especially about my dogs and I share about, you know, whatever other things I'm doing or working on. But I the thing that um, has stopped my interactions more is like I have way less um, interactions with strangers than I used to. Um, I definitely used to like 
I didn't need to know what your, you know, I didn't need to, I, I, I would rarely even go look at someone's platform before engaging with them around just innocuous topics. And now I, if I don't know you, like I'm not talking to you anymore because I don't have, I don't know you, you could be suspicious and the time and effort it takes to, you know, vet you is not, is not some time that I'm willing to spend. And so I, it's definitely changed the way that I can interact with people. And it's sad to me because I met a lot of amazing people in those earlier days where I was able to interact with strangers and be like, oh, this person seems cool. Like, wh what other stuff are you doing? And and getting to know them more and meeting them and, and talking with them and having them on my own podcast when I had one. And um, a lot of that has just stopped and I've just become, yeah, a little bit walled off in the context of I'll share what I want, but I'm really not interested in as much interaction. Um, or I, one of the the um, tactics that I um, employ is that I have specific posts that are meant to be interactive or conversational. Um, and I usually do one or two a week just to have a conversation with, with folks. But I have had to systemize it because it can't be organic for me anymore. Um, the risk is too great. And it is sad. It, it It's made... Um, I would say my interactions with strangers a little less authentic in that I'm trying to craft a moment to talk with them versus uh, organic conversations happening. And, you know, some of that is just the way that digital spaces have evolved, but a lot of it is just me having to make different choices because of the harassment. More after a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. 
No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back into it. Wouldn't it be something if you didn't have to spend your time and your energy and your capacity and your brain space systematizing these things because of these abusive platforms? Wouldn't it be great if these platforms, you know, especially simple things like the Twitter list, you know, wouldn't it be great if these platforms listened to their users and said, these are the things that you are, that you are, these are the things that you are doing to enable abuse. If you, if you, it will be very easy to fix, to stop it. It wouldn't it be great if you did not have to individually dedicate brain space to managing how you were going to deal with this just to show up and like do, do your job, do, live your life the way that you want to live it online. Yeah. I mean, it would be amazing. I mean, I have, there, there we have protocols in our house when things, you know, when, when the attacks really get bad, my phone gets taken away from me. Uh, my, everybody knows to text my husband if they need me because I won't have it on me anymore. I mean, these are, you know, coping mechanisms just to protect my own mental health when these, when these things um, happen. And I know, I mean, so much, the reason why I have those protocols is because I learned them from other black women who were like, okay, here's how you can deal with it. Or here's, you know, when I step away and um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the insidiousness of white supremacy, right? Is that the onus is on those of us that are under its boot to, uh, create situations or to create systems just to help us survive. And our white counterparts just don't have to deal with that. They do not have to reckon with the possibility of simply speaking your truth, meaning you're going to have to deal with a whole list of stuff that have nothing to do with your initial, um, you know, purpose for interacting online. And you know, we do a lot of our work in digital spaces, so it's not a place that I can step away from. I also, you know, center a lot of my work around direct giving, and I, I move a lot of money directly, especially to Black women and femmes um, through social media. So for me, it's it's not a place that I'm really willing to leave because the resources are there, and um, and it works. So I don't have a position of like I'm going to step away. I just have had to take a position of protecting myself as best I can 
sharing that knowledge with other people and then pushing with folks like you to to create actual real change in digital spaces. I'm so we we need people like you. Yeah, you've you've been individually responsible for funding so many black women and femmes, you know, d- direct direct aid to them into their pockets. You are so important in this work and so I I'm glad that you have steps in place where you can stay in this work because God knows we need you, but it's hard. Like we need to acknowledge that, you know, you're not a superwoman, you're a person, a real person and that, you know, it sucks sometimes. It's just really, it sucks sometimes. It really does. Uh, you know, I started doing these TikTok threads on Sunday on my Twitter. And I did the first one because I really was just like, I need to put something up that's fun. I need to put something up that is not going to be a lightning rod for anything where I can just interact with people in a fun uh, way and bring some joy it has changed my entire countenance um, because now people look forward to the thread every Sunday and um, it's injected uh, in a strange way, just a buffer around me. And I know I have a little bit of time in digital space every Sunday that's joyful and peaceful and fun. Um, and I, I had lost that. I really had lost that feeling of enjoying interacting with strangers Um online, which, you know, is such a big part of digital organizing. And I needed to figure out a way to bring that back into my platform and into the ways that I interact uh, naturally. And th- this ended up working. I-, I had tried some other things before that weren't as successful. And this this is, seems to be working quite well for that purpose. And it kind of, it I, this sounds strange, but it's sort of like if the temperature has been rising um, on the stove around, you know, negative uh, reactions to me all week um that sunday thread it like it's like a throwing water on a fire it just puts it out completely so i sort of have a reset every week now um because now it looks silly that you're like arguing in someone's mentions when people are like talking about dogs or like like, you seem weird so um yeah i mean those are just like little tricks that i've started to pick up just to kind of be like okay how can i continue to exist in this space and not have it um be so toxic to me that I have to like build all of these different systems. And th- th- this trick has seemed to work so far. Um, I'm hoping it will continue because it's been really nice to be able to bring that that part of digital interaction back in a safe way. Mm, that's a great tip. I hope people out there, if take, I'm, I'm going to use it. That's a great tip. Um, and again, I, it, it sucks that you have to do these things, but I'm happy that you have systems in place that just protect your health, protect your wellness, and continue to give you that outlet to, to do that community building and, and engaging that I know that you're so good at and that you love so much. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Leslie, where can folks keep up with you online? You're doing amazing stuff all over the internet. Where can folks keep up with you? You can just find me, Leslie Mac, M-A-C. You can search that. Up. That's my handle on uh, Twitter. Uh, if you just search it in Google, you'll see my all the things, Facebook and um, my website, LeslieMac.com. You can find me there as well. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I just want to thank you too, Bridget, for, for um, calling this uh extra episode and and thank you for all of your podcasts but especially for this um series you've been doing around disinformation because i think it's really um allowed a lot of folks to put into context the long um you know trail of this work against disinformation you know we've watched it in this election cycle in a way that i think has woken people up to the realities and dangers of it but it's really important to put it into the context that we've been screaming about this for almost a decade more than a decade. 
And so, yeah, I mean, y'all could have just listened to Black Women from the first place and you can start doing that now and we can avoid things like 45 and Marjorie Taylor Greene and all the other, you know, horrible things that have stemmed from digital spaces. Because frankly, somebody like MTG, the only way that they've built a platform is through digital space. Oh, absolutely. I was just talking about this, how the problem really is, is that we have, for for people like her, we have made it politically advantageous to do things like this online. It's, It's not, you know, it's not like, oh, she sounds wild, like get her out of here. It's, oh, she sounds wild. Amplify her. Amplify her. Yes. Um, and you know, uh, as Bridget just closed, we both work at ultraviolet, but you know, one of the great things about the media guide is that it really has specific, um, ways for people to not share disinformation. And one of the biggest culprits is the media. They share disinformation inadvertently and deliberately um, in covering it. And it's it's wild that they have not seen um, the light and understood their role in, in spreading it. Because if you're considered fake news, quote unquote, by, by um, a portion of the population, and then you write, you report on disinformation in a in a specific way. You legitimize it really specifically with a, a, a specific audience. And I I don't know what the answer is, but I'll say this: when I was in journalism school, clearly I did not become a journalist because I actually saw one when I was in J school. I saw this as the future of journalism, and it really scared me. Um, I went to Northwestern University, and this is in the you know the mid to late nineties. And I I really I remember saying to my mom, I can't be in this industry. This, this, the track that this is on is, is leading in a really dangerous and scary place. And I don't think it's something that I could do for my, my career. I don't think it's something I could do. She was not thrilled. It was a lot of money anyway. Um, but yeah, I just remember, and, and it's, it's silly now. I talk about those all the time and certainly age myself, but you know, you, you go to the computer lab to write your, you know, your stories and stuff or the paper and um, you know, people would bring magnets into the computer lab to like swipe people's um, floppy disks so that their stories couldn't get it on time so that they could get the the byline the next day. And like, I remember just being like, this is, these are, these will be my colleagues. Yeah, I, I, this is not, it's not going to be for me. And um, it's been wild sitting back outside of, of journalism and watching, you know, everything that I felt as a 19 year old um, come to pass. Every, every single thing I was like, this is going really south. Um, the idea of ethics were so loosey goosey and not at all, um, ethical. And I just was like, this is, this is the, one of the best journalism schools in the country. And these are the people they've matriculated. And this is the attitude that they have towards women, towards black people, towards marginalized folks, towards poor people. I just, yeah, the reckoning has been long coming. And I think that the digital space has only added to um, to that. Absolutely. And I think we, we see it in the way that folks are reporting about the AOC situation. I was really disgusted to see it sort of framed as almost like a cat fight or a spat between two female members of Congress, as opposed to a wider coordinated disinformation campaign that AOC is at the heart of. Like, this is not two women beefing over a man or something, right? Like this is someone, this is people making up making up lies about someone in a coordinated way to smear them for for sharing their story. I was really dismayed to see it kind of framed as like a, she said, she said kind of thing, as opposed to disinformation. But that becomes a question, right? Why did 
anybody feel the need to discount AOC's account of what happened to her personally? That's the ultimate question is why was that something you felt you needed to do? And at the heart of that is that is that we go back to silencing of women of color and especially progressive radical women of color. And that's the ultimate goal. And people will pay any price to do that. So true. And I, and I think like, what do you think it tell like people who are survivors of abuse, sexual violence, when they see the way that the wagon circled to smear AOC for sharing her story, what do you think that the response is, you know, like someone who would, would speak up, but sees what happened to AOC what do you think that what do you think that's going to do to them? You know, it's going to further tell them that they shouldn't speak out. It's going to let them know that there will be negative consequences to them speaking out. And um, I think it's it's why it's so important for us to so, show support for AOC and for all survivors, because there is a survivor listening right now that's contemplating and she's at a crossroads of speaking her truth or burying it and having to deal with it in 10, 15, 20 years. And the more that we can show support for survivors and for moments like this where AOC is so transparent, not only in um, speaking about her experience as a sexual assault survivor, but also linking the trauma of that moment to January 6th, where she was also feeling under attack. And, you know, um, I'm just put in mind, you know, Katie Porter it was interesting listening to AOC's account and then Katie talking about it on a Lawrence O'Donnell show because Katie mentioned some details that that Alexandria didn't share. And she said, you know, uh, she, she said to AOC, you know, I'm a mom. I've got everything, you know, covered here. Don't worry. I'm calm. And AOC looked at her and said, I hope I get to be a mom. And I just I want people to hear that this is a young woman who has a huge platform. She takes it very seriously. She does diligent and amazing work, but she's still a young woman who shouldn't be made to feel like this just for doing her job. And I, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take. And I think that's, what's really been scaring me the most in this last, you know, few years is that I, I, I have a, a sinking suspicion that it's going to take something so violent that um yeah i just i'm just really actually afraid for the physical safety of so many of these um elected officials right now um and i don't know what to do with that fear i can only imagine how they are all feeling um I, this has been just a like i'm reaching out to you know my st louis crew like what Who's watching Corey? Like I'm obsessed about it. Literally, I I I find myself just constantly being concerned. Um, some of them I don't worry about because like Ayana, I know she's 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 got a very strong uh you know um, protective system around her. But I just worry. I just worry um, as we're watching, um, continuing to watch um, the these conspiracy theorists and um, and white supremacists continue to take up space, continue to not be challenged. Uh, it was really disturbing to watch the hearing yesterday. I was so triggered to hear um, the GOP um, representatives one after the other get up and, and make equivocation for um, Mark MTG's um, behavior and these false equivalencies that they kept throwing up. But I was really buoyed by the Democrats that got up and, and really were specific 
about the harms that were done, about who these were targeted against and why we can't stand for it any longer. I have not heard the Democrats speak in such large collective voice about this yet. And and it's sad that it took someone um, like Marjorie Taylor Greene to get them to do it because had they been doing this all along, perhaps there wouldn't be a Marjorie Taylor Greene in Congress right now. I'm hopeful that in this moment, people can see this is this is real stuff, really serious and has very real consequences. Absolutely. And and um, it needs to be said that these moments always come at the expense of women of color. And I think that um, it, it plays into our disposability and in this notion that, well, we can just take it. And this notion that um, we're really just here to serve as uh, an example for other people to to learn from. Um, and that's a hard reality that we that we actually live with every single day, that our lives themselves are an example. Um, uh, we really just want to live. I say this all the time. Like, I don't know an organizer that would not be rather that would not rather be doing something else. We are organizers because we are called and because we have to be. Um, I'd love to just go to you know Paris and and go to pastry school and and uh, bake all day if I had a choice. Um, but that's not the world that I live in, and it demands more of me because I want my nieces to have a better world, and I want. Uh, you know, my nephews to not be raised in a world that would have them become misogynist. And I I feel called to support people that are in need. Um, and so the ways in which we are dehumanized in digital spaces, that we become, you know, these two-dimensional, um, you know, flattened out personalities in ways that our white counterparts are always seen as three-dimensional. It's always about the nuance of their experience. And for us, it, everything is black and white. And I, it, it's, it's uh, a while to um, watch um, your sisters just become a lesson for people to learn, their pain be a lesson for people to learn from. And, and I, I, I want that to stop as well. I want better for us all. Like I almost have tears in my eyes. I want better for us. I want you to be able to go to pastry school and not not feel like you have to be in this like in this fight that flattens us so cruelly i want i want better for all of us same got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi you can reach us at hello at tangodi.com you can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com there are no girls on the internet was created by me bridget todd it's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. 
during High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 